Today we learn about volcanic hazards um, and why on earth people want to live near volcanoes. Um, so, um, yeah, so the dangers are um, when the volcano explodes, um, you get lava, obviously. Um, it can be fast moving or slow um, and it gets and it completely destroys anything that is in its way. Um, and it has a temperature of up to 2000 degrees. Um, below, when it's not been erupted, it's actually called magma. So yeah. Then there is the pyroclastic flow that is extremely fast moving. It's about 1000 degrees C. Um, it's hot ash and rock debris. Um, and it destroys pretty much everything in its path. Um, it can choke you and it burns out all the oxygen in the air. So, yeah, that's fun. Um, and it can travel for miles um, for an hour, like, for long times. Um, and then there's ash. It's um, in large amounts and it can fall on roof roofs of houses um, and it buries crops. And then when it gets... Um, mixed with water it gets really heavy and um, it basically collapses the roof of your house in um, and it is also it makes it very difficult to breathe in then there's the laha um, <laughs> yeah uh, they're extremely powerful flood water and it's mixed with ash and creates like a mud flow like a like rapids like you get at center parks but on a massive scale um, and it can wash away whole um, houses and settlements and things like that. Then there's lava bombs. They can be small or large. Smaller ones travel further. Large ones don't as much. But they're boiling hot. Um, and they can crush you. So, yeah. And then gas. Um, it's sometimes poisonous gases are released. Um, like sulfur dioxide, hydrogen sulfide carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide um, and it will kill you it can choke you and stuff um so in 1960 sorry 1986 to 17 what <laughs> oh right okay yeah sorry in 1986 uh 1746 people were killed in their sleep as large amounts of co2 was released from the crater lake called Lake Naos in Cameroon, Africa. Kind of scary because my dad works there. Um, hold on, the PowerPoint's frozen. No, it's not what I want. Ah, okay. Um, so, yeah, then there's earthquakes. Um, there are hundreds of small earthquakes before and after an interruption normally caused by upwelling of magma from the lower chambers up to the main vent of the volcano bulging in size. Um, then there's tsunamis. Occasionally, um, the earthquakes are caused by the volcanic eruptions or a submarine eruption can set off a tsunami. It's basically a huge, long wave um, of seawater that can literally wash away cars and buildings. Um, and they pick up debris 
um, and cause huge destruction. Um, so yeah, that's it basically. There's also acid rain. Um, it's like ash builds up. Oh no, yeah, um, and eruption clouds. Um, so yeah, then why people why why on earth do they want to live there? Well, um, there's actually quite fertile soil near um volcanoes is good for crops um there are people living in poverty they may not know about dangers or um they may not have a choice um there's lots of tourists so the um economical side of things is quite good um and um there's like hot water and stuff like that that is um created they get free water so yeah that's cool um and there's more effective monitoring of volcanoes so you'll get more they'll now they'll get more of a warning before it explodes and stuff um and there's better building designs that can withstand earthquakes and things like that there's also really flat land near a volcano um and it there's it's good for views and stuff like that so yeah that's pretty much it um so thanks hope that helped today we talked about mitigating the effects of tropical storms um and mitigating is what is basically um preventing or reducing risks um so you can um predict where um the storm might go so some maps show where the hurricane for example is going to be um and because hurricanes travel in a sort of really slowly curving line um we can guess whereabouts um a typhoon is going to hit um and we can prepare and tell countries that are in its sort of in its like path um that hold on a minute you're gonna have a storm like you better prepare um so that is um monitoring and prediction um you can also do protection so obviously building um constructions like houses and safety havens like communal areas and things like that on stilts um raised stilts so that the flood water can just pass under the building without risking it blowing what being swept away um you can also build it on raised ground and not on ground like marshland or beaches um because it's it it just yeah it makes sense um you can also put shutters over windows um and make make the buildings out of uh strong concrete and stuff um some places in that don't really have as much technology um as sort of the UK does or the US or somewhere like that um they send bike people out on bikes um to go and cycle around 
like villages and city uh villages um and tell the village that um oh there's gonna be a storm in like what three hours and then they have time to prepare um so that's another protection safety precaution sort of pre warning thing uh that some countries do um there are also stairs you can also make stairs um that take people to the safety of the first floor when you're building a building on stilts um and also make them out of strong materials like concrete um yeah so that's basically it for protection um hold on And that is it really um, for mitigation. But yeah, like I said earlier, mitigation is preventing or reducing risks. Um, yeah, that that's it really. So yeah, I hope that was helpful. Today we learned about um, past climate um, of the earth. Um, so... The difference between weather and climate. So weather is um, what is happening right now. So right now it's sunny, uh, which makes a change. Um, and then climate is over a 30-year average. Um, so, for example, um, Australia might have a different climate to part places in Russia. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, like I said, we did the past climate um, of the Earth. Um, and we looked at some graphs and um, it showed temperature differences between, like, millions of years, hundreds of years, now, whatever. Um, and we figured out that the temperature changes frequently um, and it also can change quite dramatically because there were some... Um, quite low low temperatures and then it went up to really high temperatures um, and there were often periods where it would stay cold for a long time and then get warm or get warm stay warm for a long time and then get cold um, and there's a fine line between temperatures having um, polar ice caps and no polar ice caps um, we also learned that um, the warmer the climate gets, the more CO2, and CO2 is a greenhouse gas, and it traps in um, sunlight, um, resulting in the, the world heating up. Um, and there's also another thing that could lead to climate change. Um, it's when the Earth, because it rotates around the sun, um, it rotates at a angle or that angle can change so it can move towards the sun or away from the sun which can cause different climates um we also learned that um in polar regions like antarctica um ice is built up over hundreds of thousands of years um and it can be about three thousand meters deep um and formed in the layers um like layers are formed every year um, and it traps in tiny bubbles of um, frozen air or something 
um, and that contains um, a sample of the atmosphere. So scientists can test that and see how much CO2 is in the air and figure out, therefore, what what sort of rough temperature it was. Um, there's also another way to tell that climate change is happening. Um, that's down to tree rings. Um, so when trees grow or get older, um, they if you cut a tree in half, you'll see it has rings, and that means like how old it is. Um, and when they grow, um, when they grow in like warmer weather, um, that's when the tree rings are wider, and then obviously thinner in colder um, weather. So scientists can then look at that and use that to help figure out um, climate change and how the climate has changed and everything. Um, I think that might be it. Um, no, we can also look at um, historical sources um, and use historical documents or paintings from the past and compare them to what it's like now. Um, and yeah that that's that's it really that's different ways to tell how the climate has changed and stuff like that so yeah i hope that was helpful today we learned about um the natural causes of climate change so that's including sunspots earth's orbit tilt wobble and volcanoes um so sunspots are black areas on the surface of the sun um sometimes there are lots and sometimes there aren't really very many um and like the more spots there are then the more solar energy that's being sort of pushed towards the sun, uh, towards the earth um and that could be um a result of climate change um and it happens every 11 years so it's like within a lifetime um and scientists have identified um, that the changes in solar energy output are linked to the presence of sunspots. Um, and the sunspot is like the dark, dark areas. Um, yeah, and then there is um, the Earth's orbit. So there's one, I can't remember what it's called, but it's... Um, Basically, it goes from in being in a circle around the sun to being like more of an oval. Um, and this happens every 100,000 years and it can cause an ice age um, and other sort of climate changes. So it can end an ice age, etc. Um, sometimes the orbit is circular, sometimes it's oval, like I just said. Um, it also uh, affects the sunlight fall how the sunlight falls on the earth's surface um and over thousands of years the changes can start or stop an ice age like i just said again um then there's the tilt um that sometimes um it it it's on its axis um and it can be upright or on its side and it can go from being like 20 degrees to like 25 degrees um on a tilt and this also also alters the amount of sunlight the earth gets and um how the sunlight hits the earth um 
And this happens every 41,000 years. And then there's the wobble, which is like the Earth, um, as if it's like a spinning top. Um, and similarly to the other ones, it can affect the amount of sunlight the Earth gets. Um, and yeah, it happens every 26,000 years. And all of these um, are called the... Um, Milankovitch cycles. I don't know if I said that right. Probably not. Um, we also learned about a bit about asteroids. So asteroids are big chunks of rock. Comets are like ice, um, and meteors are like smaller bits of rock. I think. Um, but basically, asteroids are large cosmic uh, materials such as asteroids and comets um and it can impact the earth's surface um and if it it ejects large volumes of dust into the atmosphere partially blocking solar radiation and leading to glacial periods so that's another climate change thing um they happen approximately every 56 million years um or something like that so we don't actually know because yeah but the last the first time recorded and the last time um the asteroid hit earth was when it wiped out the dinosaurs which was obviously very long ago um and that is pretty much it, I think. But yeah, hope that helps. Today we learned about human um, effects of climate change. Um, so greenhouse, the greenhouse effect is actually natural. Um, it's like solar radiation from the sun being trapped in the atmosphere by natural gases that were already there. Um, but human... The human-enhanced greenhouse effect is when um, the solar radiation is... More of it is trapped due to humans um, producing more of the natural gases. So more carbon dioxide, more nitrous oxide, etc. Um, and um, basically the three sort of main greenhouse gases that we learned about um is carbon uh, dioxide methane and nitrous oxide and 0.03 percent of the sort of atmosphere gases is made up of co2 um 0.00017 percent of the atmosphere is methane and then um i'm not exactly sure how much is nitrous oxide um but they all have different like sort of strengths and varying varying things like that the some are more dangerous than others um but without like carbon dioxide um to breathe um and then sort of the human race would sort of be non-existent plus animals plus plants um and it actually warms up the planet without 
sort of overheating it um and it sort of prevents ice ages and things like that um but now that humans have got involved there's too much of the co2 um which is not good um the enhanced greenhouse effect is caused by things like factories cars and cattle farms and they all produce a lot of co2 um but the main one is burning fossil fuels um that's when like factories are burning coal and other fossil fuels that create the um co2 and then um methane is um produced from rice farms gas pipes gas pipe leaks um etc nitrous oxide is from aircraft engines and cars etc and 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 what <laughs> and then there's other um gas it is it gas i'm not really sure um but it's called a halocarbon halocarbon um and they're produced from solvents from like sort of industries um like clothes making or something and um cooling equipment um so that is it really all we learn about that lesson uh yeah i hope that was helpful Today we learned about climate change and um, the different effects it has on the earth and whether they're negative or positive. Um, so first we got a bit of text and it told us a bit about co- uh, companies and different climate change matters and everything. Um, and it mentioned something about the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change or IPCC Um and they wrote a report confirming earlier research about most of the increases in global temperatures were down to humans. Um, so obviously there are people trying to make change because overall climate change is not, it's not fun, it's not good. Um, what I should say the enhanced greenhouse effect rather than just climate change in general. Um but obviously some of the um, negative climate change effects would be loss of habitat, um, more rainfall and seawater level, level rising, um, melting glaciers, things like that. Um, and then reasons why it, it, it's hard to say, say the effects of climate change and whether they're positive or negative is because there are new inventions um we don't know what the population will be in the future um and we don't know whether fossil fuels would continue to be used or if people will change their lifestyles in order to help so that's why it's hard to say whether climate change is going to sort of decrease risk i don't know how to explain it um then we were given a map um, and we had to highlight um, negative things in red and then positive green, uh, positive things in green. Um, unfortunately, there are only two green things. Um, that was moderate temperature increase could see crop yields increase by 20%. So that means more crops will be grown in one area, basically. Um, and the temperature rise... Um, 
one to two degrees, making areas more tolerable. So places like oh, some places in Russia might be really cold. Um, so that increase in one or two temperate degrees um, would be um, helpful. But some of the negative things are, so there's a loss of biodiversity and um, glaciers um, will be melting, which leads to rising sea levels, erosion of beaches and um, coral bleaching. Um, there will also be an increase um, in problems with pets and diseases. Um, there will be increasing temperatures, which might cause um, destruction of tropical forests and making them sort of turning them into savannas, which, you know, it could be good for, I don't know, any animal that might live in the savannah, but, um, we're already losing too many tropical forests. Um, we can't afford to lose any more. Um, so that will be a loss of habitat for those creatures. Um, there will be a loss of sea ice, which is also habitats to mammals and sea life. Um, and there will be linking onto the diseases. There will be an increase in strains of malaria, which is fatal. It can be fatal if not treated correctly. Um, and there will be illness and death due to diarrhea. Um, that will sort of increase... And there are only a few of the negatives. So as you can see, it's quite quite a negative thing, climate change. Um, and it's, it's just, there's too much negativity to ignore. We need to do something about it. So, but yeah, I hope that helped. Cool. Today we learned about um, water resources and sort of issues surrounding that. Um, so 71% of our planet is covered in water. 51% um, of the world's population experience extreme water shortages. Oh my gosh, shortages for at least one month a year. Um, 97% um, of the water on the earth, that's like salt water or seawater. And then 1% um, is fresh water that we can use. Um, then we talked about how it, how water resources aren't, necessarily um spread equally around the world but we before that we talked about um some terms that sort of come under this um so there's non-renewable which means natural resources um are available for a limited quantity or a limited amount of time so they'll run out um at one point uh, eventually um and they cannot be renewed or replenished um renewable um, is they can be replenished or renewed naturally over time and then recyclable obviously you can recycle or reuse um, a resource and yeah okay so back to why it might not be shared equally so there are different climates um, Africa is a lot hotter than say the UK um, so they might not have um, as much rainfall or as much sort of surrounding ocean or um, they might not be able to store water that well because of the hot climate 
Um, there are different sizes of like population in different countries. So some countries might might need more water because they have more people, whereas other countries might not need as much because um, there are less people sort of living there. Um, then there's like industrial uses. So like the USA um, and like Russia and the UK are probably more industrialized that's probably not a word than maybe um countries like africa um just because they're they're more of a developed country um but don't get me wrong africa like people are growing food to sell there as well but you know, you get you get what I mean. Um, then there's um, seasonal changes and like weather changes and different um, geology, which can affect it. So rocks can absorb water. Um, weather can like if it's really sunny, it can sort of evaporate some water and stuff like that. Um, there's different levels of wealth depending on um, the country. So there's more or less infrastructure. Um, so if they are a poorer country, they might not have as much, um, sort of storing places for the water or they might not, you know, you, you get what I mean. Um, <laughs> then there's different levels of pollution. Um, so Africa's actually probably less polluted than UK is. I don't know why I keep using Af- Africa as an example. Um, but yeah. Um, so there's, if we are more polluted, then there's less water that is going to be safe for us to drink or to use, etc. Um, and then there's different amounts of groundwater stored. So again, climate can affect this um, and things like that. So um, that is basically what we covered. Um, but if you think about it, um, we were given um, a question where it talks about um, how long do you spend in the shower? And you might not realise, it might take, um, what, 15 minutes in the shower? Um, but on an average in the UK, we use about 150 litres a day per person. And say if you live in a family of three, that's going to add up quite quickly. Um, so that's sort of a bit of a waste of water, I guess. So you sort of need to think about maybe cutting down on the amount of water that we use so there's more for everyone else um and that is basically what we covered um for that day but there um oh yeah then we talked about um what things might use more water than others so washing yourself in the bath shower um washing clothes flushing toilets having drinking water and like cooking like everything um that we do daily we we probably waste too much water using it so um you know it all adds up and stuff like that then we were given a graph that showed us um sort of the average daily water usage per person and um the US was at the top and um i don't know how to say that but um nigeria was one of the lower 
lower sort of ones that don't use as much water. Um, and yeah, that is basically what we talked about in that lesson. I hope that was helpful. Hello. Today we uh, looked at small-scale ecosystems. So an ecosystem is a complete environment that has some um, that is home to living creatures like um, bats or foxes, and it can also be home to plants and microorganisms um, and non-living things such as soil and rocks. Biotic um, is basically living things. And then abiotic is non-living things. And producers convert energy from sunlight and turn them into glucose. So photosynthesis. Um, I know plants do that. I'm not sure if animals do. I can't remember. Um, consumers get energy from sugars uh, produced by producers. So like a pond snail. Decomposers break down plant and animal material and return the nutrients to soil. And food chains uh, show direct links between producers and consumers. And food webs also show um, all the connections between producers and consumers. And it's more complex than a food chain. Uh, nutrients are, f- are foods that are used by plants and animals to grow. So rainwater washes chemicals out of the atmosphere. Weathered rock releases nutrient into the soil. When plants and animals die, the decomposers help recycle the nutrients, making them available once again for the growth of plants and animals. It's like a cycle. Um, So, yeah, that's basically uh, small ecosystems. hope that was helpful. Yeah, today we looked at global ecosystems, um, so like biomes. Um, And biomes are a major regional group uh, of distinctive plant and animal communities well adapted to physical environment. So, for example, a polar bear um, has thick fur. I think it's like double-layered fur or something. Um, And to sort of keep it warm in the Arctic or wherever it lives. Um, So some of the different biomes are polar ice mountains, tundra, um, so polar without ice, temperate boreal or tiger forests, temperate deciduous forests deciduous trees are ones that lose their leaves in the winter i think Uh, mediterranean temperate grasslands desert savanna and tropical rainforests so biome location so continentality so dry air further you are from sea which can affect the climate um, and maybe what grows there and what doesn't grow there and what lives there what doesn't um, the temperature, so dry, hot air, less rain, would probably um, be more towards the sort of desert, savanna, uh, like biomes. Um, latitude, closer to the equator, more sunlight, which would probably be places like um, desert or Mediterranean or uh, tiger forests, I think. I'm not entirely sure. And then there's precipitation, which is more or less rainfall, which can affect how wet or dry the air is. Um, So, yeah, hope that was helpful. Uh, Only a little less than that one, but yeah. Bye. So today we talked about tropical rainforests and um, rainforests are categorised by having over 
2,000 millilitres of rainfall per year and the temperature averages at around 27 degrees Celsius. Um, rainfalls, what am I talking about? I'm sorry. Rainforests, um, especially the one in Costa Rica, got around 4,500 millilitres of rainfall, uh, 50% of which um, was swept from plants, so that's called transpiration. Um, most nutrients are found at the surface where the dead leaves, plants and animals are, um, and it's hot, so that means the leaves rot quicker, which is why they are at the surface. Um, and if too much rainfall occurs, it can dissolve and carry away the nutrients, which is called leaching. You have different layers of rainforest, so you have the emergence, which is the bit where the tallest trees are. Then you have the canopy, which is a bit underneath that, which is the lower trees. That doesn't make sense. And then under that you have the lower or like under tree canopy thing, which is like the uh, tall vegetation, palm trees, stuff like that. And then you have shrub layer and then soils. Um, so trees have adapted to have big roots to help with stabilization because obviously they're really tall and um, to gather nutrients. Um, they s- 50% of living things are from the rainforest. Uh, we get a whole lot of medicinal materials from the rainforest plants and they produce 40% of Earth's oxygen. So, yeah. Today we talked about the interdependence of the tropical rainforest. Um, so all parts of the ecosystem are linked and they all uh, depend on each other. Um, this is called biodiversity and it's when a variety of plants and animals are in one place. So we had a question where uh, we were given a food web, uh, a simple one, and um, we were asked the question, what would happen if fruit bats were extinct? Um, so if fruit bats went extinct, there would be an increase in coconut trees as they won't be, there won't be any bats to feed off of them. As a result, banana trees and bamboo trees may become more sparse as the coconut trees are taking up most of the room because they're not being eaten. Uh, further up the food chain, pythons, um, python numbers might, de- might decrease because their main food source has gone extinct. Um, then we were given a diagram of sort of the cycle of biomass, litter and then soil. Um, it's hard to explain that really. Um, then we were given a four mark question um, about why rainforests are good examples of interdependent ecosystems. Um, and it's because everything else relies on like everything else. That's a bad way of explaining it. But um, animals and plants have adapted to live there um, in the hot and wet climates. And the plants actually sweat, which is uh, called transpiration which produces 50% of the 2,000 plus millilitres of rainfall they have a year. Um, Due to the weather being so humid, dead plant matter decomposes quickly, which means it stays more on the surface of the the rainforest ground. Um, And trees have adapted to have big, long and shallow roots that spread wide to gather as much nutrients as possible. 
However, when chunks of rainforest are cut down, leaching happens, which is when rainfall washes away all the dead plant mass and leaves unfertile soil underneath. Uh, but I ran out of time for that one, so would have written more. But yeah, hope that helps. Today we looked at plant and animal adaptation. Um, adaptation is a biological mechanism by which plants and animals adjust to the changes of the environment um, to live longer and survive better. Um, so some examples of plant adaptations, um, so fan palms. So um, they have leaves that are fan-shaped and like segmented, um, which is good for catching sunlight and it also gets rid of rain quicker so it can photosynthesize. Um, buttress roots, um, they're widespread and shallow for balance and um, for gathering nutrients as we know nutrients um, is on the surface of the rainforest floor because it's so hot the leaves uh, rot quicker. Um, drip tip leaves, they are like sort of heart shaped leaves with a really pointy end and they um, are, they have a waxy surface and um, a drip tip like end to get rid of water quickly. What? <laughs> quickie? What? Uh, to get rid of water quicker. Um, so that more photosynthesis can happen. Um, then you have strangler figs, which are like weird like root things that grow on the outside of trees. Um, and basically a bird eats it and then poops it out and it's like it grows in the nook of a tree and gets more so it gets more sunlight. Um, and it feeds off the tree and kills the tree, um, like rots it when when it's like big enough and it's wrapped all around it. So yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, so some examples of uh, animals that have adapted. So howler monkeys, they have muscular tails to swing through trees. Um, they're hairless on the underside so they can feel surfaces that are under them, which, you know, they could be sitting on a poisonous frog or something. Um, so yeah. And they allowed they have a loud like voice box thing to warn other monkeys like this is my troop and like don't come near and also to attract um like a mate or something yeah um then you have uh the frog so it has sticky feet to sleep on the underside of trees um and it like tucks them in as well to when it sits down sleeps. <laughs> Um, its skin is soft to absorb moisture and um, it's often in bright colours to mimic um, poisonous dart frogs uh, to scare off predators that are going to eat it. Um, then you have the leaf-tailed gecko. Um, it has a big tail like in the shape of a leaf for balance and it's camouflage to uh, hide from predators. Then you have the sloth, which is, uh, it has curved claws to hang on branches. Um, its arms are longer than its legs for support and um, more slowly, they move, they move more slowly so they aren't detected by predators. Um, and then obviously quite a lot of the uh, animals in the rainforest are nocturnal, so um, which means that they come out and they they basically switch their body clock so they're awake in the night and sleep, sleeping in the daytime um and it means that fewer predators are out at night but um 
and it helps to avoid detection. However, some predators that do uh, hunt at night, quite often their hunts are more successful and it's also cooler. So yeah, that's basically it. I hope that was helpful.